0: Based on the documented need for additional education in prostate cancer, bladder cancer, and renal cell carcinoma, the AUA is launching a series of podcasts, the AUA Expert Exchange Podcast, Discussions about Managing GU Cancer. These activities are designed to increase the clinician's competency in the application of new and emerging treatment options, including their mechanisms of actions and associated side effects. This educational series is supported by independent educational grants from the following companies. Amgen, Astellas, AstraZeneca, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Genomic Health, Merck, Pfizer Incorporated, Sanofi Genzyme, and Eurogen Pharma. The following activity is brought to you by the American Urological Association. The American Urological Association is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education to provide continuing medical education for physicians. To learn how to claim CME credits for your participation in this activity, or to view faculty disclosures, please visit the AUA University at auau.auanet.org.
1: Hi, this is Vic Nitti, Chair of the American Urological Association Office of Education, and I'd like to welcome you to another Office of Education podcast. This one in the AUA Expert Exchange podcast series, discussion about managing GU cancer. And today's specific topic is immune checkpoint inhibitors in renal cell carcinoma. It is my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Dr. Bill Wong, Bill is Associate Professor uh, of Urology and Vice Chair for Clinical Affairs in the Department of Urology at the NYU Langone Medical Center. He is also the Chief of Urology at Kish Hospital and the Co-Director of of the Robotic Surgery Center at uh, NYU Langone Health. Uh, Bill, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me on, Dr. Neary.
1: So first I'm just gonna discuss our learning objectives and then we'll get right uh, into our discussion. So our learning objectives for today are to discuss the current immunotherapy options available for the treatment of renal cell carcinoma, to describe both completed and accruing clinical trials that are defining the paradigms of immunotherapy use in renal cell carcinoma, and finally, to identify and manage the adverse effects related to these agents. So, Bill, I'd like to start our discussion by just going through some, some of the historical background for the use of immu- immunotherapy uh, in renal cell carcinoma. It probably is uh, the initial uh, disease in urology that we started to
2: treat with immunotherapy. Correct. Um, The history of the use of immunotherapy for renal cell carcinoma dates back uh, to uh, prior to any targeted therapies that we had and really goes back to the days of IL-2 and interferon alpha, which were really the only available therapies that we had uh, for metastatic renal cell carcinoma. Um, It was the first immunotherapy uh, treatment approach uh, in the 90s and they primarily focused on the use of cytokines, as I mentioned, uh, interferon in alpha and IL 2. Uh, now, as I
1: remember, um, were, were those initial therapies done with um, cytoreductive therapies um, as opposed to giving them uh, just alone?
2: Correct. Those, those uh, initial therapies were in combination with surgery, which was the uh, an integral part of the management uh, at that time of metastatic renal cell carcinoma. Uh, and as, as you mentioned, uh, it was called the cytoreductive nephrectomy, where the primary tumor was removed, uh, and then the metastatic disease was managed with the cytokine therapy. how
1: effective were those early therapies?
2: So, although they were not very effective, uh, they were superior than just surgery alone. Uh, in addition, those were the only therapies that we had. But it's interesting to note that even back then, IL-2 uh, did have cases of complete responses, which um, you know we don't really even see uh, with the use of targeted therapies. Now, another reason that uh, renal cell carcinoma is highly tied in with the use of immunotherapy is the fact that uh, in multiple case reports, as well as in the placebo arms of many trials, uh, we do see spontaneous regression of metastatic lesions uh, following nephrectomy. So there is a, a, a basis for the use of the uh, immunotherapy and the immune system in its role in the management of renal cell carcinoma.
1: So tell us how immunotherapy for RCC has
2: evolved from where we were to where we are now. Sure. So I think the one thing to uh, understand is that the immune system plays an integral role in, uh, in, a, in a person's health, not only just when it comes to cancer, but also when it comes to the body's ability to uh, fight off pathogens and disease uh, and infection, uh, and also uh, keep itself from attacking itself and having autoimmune diseases and inflammatory responses Uh, with an immune system that's not in check. So what's been developed over the last decade uh, are uh, what we call immune checkpoint inhibitors or or immune checkpoints have uh, come to our knowledge. And these are basically uh, a combination of stimulatory and inhibitory signals. And that's how the body's immune response is kept in check. Now, tumors uh, in of itself can be pathogenic and they can also... um, carry a mutation load that makes them susceptible to the immune system. And so with the development of these uh, uh, checkpoint inhibitors, uh, we've been able to utilize or um, release the brakes on a a body's immune system to help treat uh, a variety of different cancers. Uh, In the urologic world, uh, both kidney cancer and bladder cancer are are two cancers that are highly susceptible to the immune system.
1: So what kind of, uh, what checkpoint inhibitors uh, are available or, or, you know, at what checkpoints
2: um, do the current inhibitors work at? Sure. So there are really two main checkpoint inhibitors that, that we uh, utilize in, uh, in urology. And uh, those would be uh, the uh, PDL, PDL one, uh, and then the anti-CTLA four um, <clears throat> checkpoint inhibitors, and these basically uh, work to release the brakes off the immune system uh, and allow the body to uh, uh, attack or uh, go after uh, cancer cells in the body.
1: So now what? What do we have available to us, uh, or, or what are the FDA-approved indications for checkpoint inhibitors and immunotherapy in renal cell carcinoma?
2: Sure. So I, I think before we actually jump into that, we, we sort of have to see how uh, the management of metastatic renal cell carcinoma has changed over time. As we mentioned, in the 90s, the standard of care was surgery with cytoreacted nephrectomy along with cytokine therapy, IL-2, and interferon alpha. Uh, And then after that, targeted therapies came about, uh, which include uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors uh, as well as NTOR inhibitors. And those in the 2000s became the frontline treatments for renal cell carcinoma. Uh, However, once uh, immunotherapy or the immune checkpoint inhibitors uh, became involved in the treatment of uh, metastatic renal cell carcinoma, uh, we now have not only the use of checkpoint inhibitors alone, but also the the combination of taking some of the targeted therapies and using them with the uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors. So uh, just like with many other diseases, Uh, The use of immunotherapy started in patients who had metastatic disease that had already been treated with a tyrosine kinase inhibitor or a targeted therapy uh, and then used in the second-line setting. So the first uh, immunotherapy that that was approved uh, was uh, nivolumab, uh, which was used in previously treated patients with metastatic renal cell carcinoma. And this was compared against Everolimus, uh, which is an NTOR inhibitor. And the nivolumab uh, demonstrated an improvement in overall survival, along with a favorable toxicity profile. So in 2015, uh, nivolumab became the first FDA-approved immune checkpoint inhibitor for the use of metastatic renal cell carcinoma. And this was in the second-line setting.
1: What else is currently approved for metastatic renal cell carcinoma?
2: Sure. So after uh, nivolumab uh, became FDA approved, then the next sort of uh, uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy that became approved was a combination therapy of uh, ipi and nivolumab. So this was a combination of uh, of two different uh, immunotherapy drugs. Uh, and this was in Checkmate 214. And in patients with advanced renal cell carcinoma, they were randomized in the study to uh be nevo versus sunitinib. And uh, obviously there was a overall survival and an objective response rate that was significantly higher uh, for the uh, immunotherapy combination. Uh, and this subsequently became approved uh, for the use uh, in poor and intermediate risk patients. Now, perhaps we should back up a little bit and just talk about how patients with metastatic disease are uh, frequently broken up into risk categories uh, with good risk, uh, intermediate risk, or poor risk. And so when you look at how these patients are stratified, um, the combination of uh, NEVO and Ipi uh, gained FDA approval based on Checkmate 214 for the use of patients with intermediate or poor risk advanced renal cell carcinoma. And this was in the first line setting. So we went from second line uh, approval of nivolumab to first line in patients with poor uh, to intermediate risk disease.
1: So it, you know, if you have the opportunity to use two different immunotherapeutic agents or two different checkpoint inhibitors, um, what's the downside of that? Why not just use that routinely as opposed to one or the other?
2: Sure. So, I mean, the, the first thing you have to realize is that, uh, there are certain uh, checkpoint inhibitors which are approved and they are approved for certain settings and so uh, there are certainly situations where someone may utilize nivolumab as a single agent uh, for something other than the second line setting Uh, but i think right now the way that people sort of go about deciding what the treatment standards are going to be are primarily based on what's been approved by the FDA, based on certain studies. So as I previously mentioned, we have a combination of IPI and NEVO, reported immediate risk. And what subsequently happened is that there is a combination of pembrolizumab and Axitinib, which is now taking a combination of immunotherapy along with a targeted therapy. And this became FDA approved across all disease groups. So now you have FDA approval for both the use of a uh, targeted therapy plus a uh, an uh, uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor uh, for the use in the front line of both good, intermediate, and poor-risk patients. So, and subsequently, there has been an additional combination of uh, a Velumab and exitinib which again is another combination of an immune checkpoint inhibitor plus a targeted therapy. Uh, and this uh, was recently FDA approved, uh, and uh, it's been shown to have benefit in both the overall population as well as patients who were PDL one positive uh, in in this cohort of patients. So to get back to your point or, or your question, uh, the current approved therapies, uh, you really have to decide upon what you're going to do based on their risk category, uh, and also uh, look at what their histologic subtype is.
1: So can you explain, sort of, when we, t- we we talked about checkpoint inhibitors, and you mentioned how, you know, they basically take the brakes off uh, the immune system, so they allow, you um, our immune system to attack tumor cells mm-hmm. what's the explain to us what quote unquote targeted therapy is
2: so targeted therapies were the therapies that were previously uh, approved for the use of uh, renal cell carcinoma and these were primarily anti-vegf uh, or mTOR inhibitors so these were uh uh, Target therapies in the pathway of uh, how uh, cancer cells, uh, for instance, clear cell cancers, uh, can overcome their environment uh, and continue to multiply. And so basically, one is using a therapy against the, uh, the unknown pathways of, uh, of angiogenesis and uh, tumor growth versus the other one using the immune system to take the brakes or at least it breaks off the immune system and essentially uh, attack cancer cells. So uh, what people have been doing is combining these two different therapies uh, together at the same time, uh, and it's been shown to be beneficial. So before when you were,
1: you, when you were describing checkpoint inhibitors as a um, second-line therapy, is that would that be after failure
2: of targeted therapy? Correct. Because as you remember, uh, in the 2000s and and, uh, until the immune checkpoint inhibitors uh, became FDA approved in the frontline, the frontline therapies were the targeted therapies, in addition to plus or minus the use of cytoreductive nephrectomy. Now, a couple studies have come out to suggest that there is no benefit in cytoreductive nephrectomy in poor to intermediate risk patients, but that's sort of beyond the scope of what Uh, this uh, discussion is about. Uh, But in addition to that, you know, now that we've sort of moved beyond just using targeted therapies uh, for uh, the treatment of metastatic renal cell carcinoma, the value of doing cytoreductive nephrectomy sort of remains unknown and and will have to be, you know, worked out over time. So yes, originally, uh, the first indication to use an immunotherapy uh, drug was an uh, agent was in the second line setting uh, and subsequently it's now moved on to the Porter intermediate risk patient in the frontline setting and now there are two combinations uh, which can be used in the frontline setting uh, both in across all risk groups and then another one in the Porter intermediate risk group as well so we now have at least three different uh, immunotherapy either uh, alone in combination with another immunotherapy agent or in combination with the targeted therapy uh, that is used uh, for the treatment of metastatic renal cell carcinoma. So we're really looking at uh, uh, a, a real increase uh, in the availability of the options that, that we have.
1: So today in, in your practice. Um, can you sort of go through, if you were going to treat metastatic renal cell carcinoma, what would be sort of your choices um, depending on risk stratification? So let's go through each of the risk groups and what you might do um, to treat those patients.
2: Sure. So uh, I, I think the first thing to realize is that in many places, uh, this is done in combination with the medical oncologist. Um, I'm not sure that there are a large number of urologists out there who actually uh, administer or manage uh, administer immunotherapy or manage patients directly uh, who are on immunotherapy and I think we'll discuss that a little bit later because uh, although in general these are well tolerated there can be significant uh, adverse effects that are pretty consequential if not recognized. Uh, So the first thing that we do is that, at least at our institution, is that if there is a patient with metastatic renal cell carcinoma, uh, we do uh, have the patient evaluated uh, by the medical oncologist as well. And so, uh, as you just mentioned, one of the things that we do from the get-go, in addition to uh, assessing their, um, uh, the extent of their metastatic disease is to place them into risk categories. Uh, and these include uh, favorable risk, poor risk, and intermediate. And there are a variety of different risk stratification um, um, categories, and uh, uh, there are a variety of different uh, factors that are taken into account when you're choosing a risk category or when you're determining someone's risk category. But uh, in general, they're all broken down into sort of three categories, favorable, intermediate, and poor. And so there is approval uh, of, or preferred regimens based on the uh, risk category, particularly for clear cell. So if we're talking about a patient with metastatic renal cell, who's got considered favorable risk, uh, then the options are- And Bill, what, what, what makes them favorable risk? so it depends on on what uh, risk factors they have such as whether they're anemic hypercalcemic their performance status so there are a couple of criteria there's the mozer or the msk uh there's the hang uh, so there there's a, a a couple sort of risk stratification tools that are out there that that you can separate the uh the, the patients out into so the,
1: these are uh, things that are not necessarily related to their tumor but related to their ability they're, to tolerate
2: therapies, right? That's right. Okay. Right, exactly. So uh, their co—I wouldn't say they're comorbid conditions per se, but uh, again, what their performance status is, uh, if they're anemic, uh, if they have uh, lab values that are that 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 place them into a poor risk category, so or or into a, a more adverse risk category, so. These are these are things uh, that that um, that help uh, identify the prognosis of the patient per se.
1: So, what are fit? We had a favorable. We have a patient in a favorable risk category. Uh, metastatic renal cell carcinoma. What are our options?
2: So, uh, part of it depends on the. Um, the histologic subtype as most of these um, therapies have been developed really for clear cell which is the most common uh, histologic subtype so when you identify the patient with metastatic renal cell carcinoma and you want to uh, look at what options are available uh, again you determine their risk category favorable poor intermediate And then based on those, there are certainly recommendations, for instance, by the NCCN, uh, by the uh, AUA, by the EAU, about what what the preferred regimens are. And so when it comes to favorable risk, clear stale histology, uh, there is the combination of exitinib and pembrolizumab, but there's also the use of just straightforward targeted therapies, uh, such as Pizopinib or sunitinib. And those are what's recommended by the AUA, for instance. If you take a look at the European Association of Urology Guidelines for favorable risk, uh, they recommend uh, pembrolizumab and exitinib. And again, uh, an alternative for patients, for instance, who can't tolerate a checkpoint inhibitor, you can use the standard targeted therapies that we've been using, which includes sunipinib and pizopinib. So uh, both the NCCN and the, uh, uh, the EAU do seem to agree with each other, uh, and this is based on FDA-approved trials that, for favorable risk, you use either a targeted therapy or a combination of an immune checkpoint inhibitor with targeted therapy. Then, now, how? Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, how about the the. Uh intermediate or poor
2: risk patient. Right. So when you look at the intermediate to poor risk patients, then we're talking about the uh, the other combined therapies, uh, which was uh, IPI and nevo, which is a combination of uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors, or Pembrolizumab and Exitinib, uh, and um, also then recently uh, velumab and Exitinib. So... The poor risk, at least an intermediate risk in the frontline, it's more likely going to be a combination of an immune checkpoint inhibitor uh, plus another checkpoint inhibitor or a targeted therapy. Uh, But as I mentioned before, uh, there is still the situation where uh, if a patient can't tolerate uh, immune uh, checkpoint inhibitor that you go directly to just a targeted therapy alone. Uh, and uh, there's always the uh, consideration for the use of high-dose IL-2, for instance, in the favorable risk uh, or even the intermediate poor risk in very, very specific circumstances because that in itself has also demonstrated complete responses or efficacy in the past. But I think that the main, main paradigm change has been uh, with the use of immunotherapy uh, being in the front line Uh, and being used in combination with targeted therapies. And, of course, if you go back to the very, very beginning, um, the second-line therapy, uh, nivolobab was the first one to be approved, and people can still consider using that as a single agent because it may be uh, better tolerated. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the use of these drugs are primarily being done by medical oncologists uh, and not so much by the urologist, but I think it's critical that the urologists know what available therapies there are, even if they're not the ones that are administering them, uh, and then keep up to date as to what the current um, FDA approved or or sort of standard treatments are uh, based on the risk category of their patients.
1: All right, Bill, I want to talk a little bit about side effects, and then we'll finish up with some of the ongoing clinical trials. So um, let's talk a little bit about, first of all, side effects of targeted therapies, and then we can talk about the side effects of checkpoint inhibitors.
2: So the the side effects of targeted therapies are significantly different than those of the immune checkpoint inhibitors, and the targeted therapies have uh, a different uh, sort of set of side effects. Um, and so the sort of outside the scope of what, what I, you know, want to discuss with you in terms today of what the uh, adverse event, side effects of the immunotherapies. But, you know, there are both cardiac, there's uh, skin, uh, there's uh, vascular system side effects from, uh, from the targeted therapies. Uh, but the uh, immunoagents, however, or the immune therapy uh, drugs uh, have side effects that are primarily immune-related. And this can happen anywhere in the body uh, and can happen uh, in nearly all the variety of uh, 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 systems that are in the body, including the endocrine, hepatic, renal, um, dermatologic, GI. And and so uh, it's important for... Urologists and clinicians who have patients who are on these drugs to recognize these side effects early, uh, because uh, they need to be addressed immediately, uh, and if they are not addressed, they can be permanent in, in some situations. So no. I think. Uh, oh, sorry.
1: No, no, go ahead. Uh,
2: so I was going to say I, I I think two common ones um, that. Uh, we see in, in, in our patients would be uh, pulmonary, such as pneumonitis, uh, GI, uh, which can be very mild uh, or can be severe uh, colitis. Uh, and there's also hepatic toxicity. Uh, and there's also uh, endocrinopathies, uh, which could affect uh, multiple organs, including the thyroid gland, the pituitary gland, the adrenal gland, so I think the one thing uh, is that early recognition is the key, uh, and this includes hepatic toxicity by examining their liver function tests uh, or something very subtle like uh, with the immune-related uh, uh, pneumonitis. It may be something simply as, uh, as a cough, um, but I think one thing that's pretty uh, universal when you're dealing with patients who are having side effects from uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors is that uh, it's frequently discontinuation of the drug uh, but also the addition of steroids and sometimes uh, it can be just oral steroids but it can also be high dose uh, intravenous steroids Uh, in addition to that uh, there is the use of biologics uh, for the treatment of uh, immune-related complications, uh, the most common one being uh, uh, something called Remicade, infliximab, which you know many of us know is used for both Crohn's disease, or psoriasis, and abu- a variety of other autoimmune diseases. So uh, it's almost like an antidote, if you want to think of it that way, for patients who are having uh, adverse uh, effects from the use of uh, immunotherapy.
1: So what's uh, w- what's coming down the pike? Tell us a little bit about
2: some of the ongoing clinical trials. Sure. So I think in addition to what we've seen uh, over the past year with uh, the use of combining uh, targeted therapies with uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors, uh, we are now uh, embarking on the use of this of immunotherapy for uh, patients uh, in the upfront setting or in the adjuvant setting. So uh, there are multiple trials that are ongoing that are looking at the use of immunotherapy, for instance, in high-risk patients with localized disease. Um, And that would involve uh, a patient having surgery, having a nephrectomy, and then going on to get adjuvant therapy using immunotherapy as opposed to a checkpoint or as opposed to a targeted therapy, as uh, those studies did not really pan out to be effective uh, in the adjuvant setting. Uh, so there are um, a couple uh, studies going on using nivolumab and the use of nivolumab prior to uh, nephrectomy for a couple weeks, uh, and then subsequently after nephrectomy, uh, and that's the PROSPER trial and that one's currently accruing patients. Uh, but there are also other trials ongoing uh, using other immune checkpoint inhibitors and combinations of them, including uh, nevo and ipi, pembrolizumab, uh, and atezolizumab also, which actually is closed, uh, and that one was open through the SUOCTC. So, uh, in addition to the metastatic setting, we're now moving the immunotherapy drugs into the non-metastatic, high-risk setting.
1: And that's uh, are those basically uh, advanced, localized disease, uh, high-grade correct. disease?
2: Okay. Correct. So we're talking about patients with, uh, with you know, uh, pathologic three A disease or uh, complete resection of a of a of a high risk localized uh, kidney tumor. How about non-clear cell histology? Right. So right now non-clear cell excuse me non-clear cell histology is a big problem uh, because all of the trials that we really have right now uh, were designed for clear cell and our current treatment options are basically based on uh, what we use for clear cell. And we know that, for instance, in the setting of targeted therapies, that they are not as efficacious uh, because they don't follow the same pathways as, as uh, clear cells. Uh, there are some trials uh, going on right now. One that's worth mentioning uh, is the use of uh, pembrolizumab uh, a monotherapy for advanced uh, clear, non-clear cell renal cell carcinoma. Uh, and in uh, uh, some of the preliminary data, there is definitely some efficacy in other histologic subtypes, including papillary renal cell carcinoma. So, uh, in addition to that, there's a variety of other ones uh, using other PDL1 inhibitors, such as the uh, Valumab, uh, in combination with other targeted therapies. So, there is definitely a lot of investigation in using immunotherapy drugs in combination with targeted therapies for other histologic subtypes. But again, these are all sort of in the investigational setting, and there really isn't anything at this time that's considered FDA-approved specifically for non-clear cell renal cell.
1: Great. Well, Bill, thank you so much for that, uh, you know... (laughs) For that excellent summary uh, and uh you know the the historical perspective of the use of immunotherapy and renal cell carcinoma uh right up until uh where we are today and now some expanded indications in the uh, uh neoadjuvant and adjuvant settings and in uh, and and uh for non-clear cell uh renal cell carcinoma um, um i would also like to thank our, our audience um, uh, for listening, and as always, if you need uh, more information, uh, please visit aua, please visit auanet.org/university. Again, Bill, thank you so much for uh, um, uh, for uh, speaking with us today, and um, we look forward to you all listening to another one of our podcasts in the future.
2: Thanks for having me on, Vic. It's My pleasure.